Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and certainly hope you're enjoying your weekend. Later, Dave Baker will look back at the Kentucky life of legendary basketball coach Joby Hall ahead of a special that will be airing later today on WKYT. That's shortly. But first, candidate for Lexington Mayor David Kloiber is here. Right now, Kloiber represents Lexington's 6th District on the Urban County Council and runs the Kloiber Foundation. After a single term on council in the city where he grew up, Kloiber has decided to run for Lexington's top job, saying the city needs better leadership and a vision. He identifies crime, affordable housing, and regional cooperation among some key issues. Kloiber is well aware that he is challenging a personally popular incumbent mayor, Linda Gorton, but says he wants to focus his campaign on issues and policy, and he believes people have a lot to consider. Councilman Kloiber, candidate for mayor, welcome. Thanks for coming. We appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, first of all, let's let our viewers get to know you some. You grew up in Lexington, you graduated from UK. Uh, what led you to the political scene? Well, honestly, it, uh, it mostly focused on, on my kids and my family, right? I, I moved back here about 10 years ago with my kids after growing up here because I knew this was exactly where I wanted to raise kids. You know, I had a great childhood myself. I knew that I wanted to do everything I could to try and make the city better. So the path to the political sphere, it mostly went through my foundation, as you mentioned. You know, I have been working to try and get out there and just make the city a better place for my kids, for all our kids, with working with the schools, with working with YMCA and other community partners. So, What does that foundation do? Oh, the Kloiber Foundation focuses primarily on technology, education, and just general well-being of our youth. So we've worked with the YMCA to create after-school programs to try and help with that kind of a gap to extend the school day. We've worked with the Fayette County Public Schools to try to make sure that we get devices into the hands of children so that they're familiar with it as they move forward in their lives. So we just try to find places to make safe places uh, for our kids and for our youth and try to get the technology they need. You come out of a technology family. Right? I, I do, yeah. I do, yeah. yes. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, some of the issues facing Lexington. As you know, Mayor Gorton uh, points out uh, that uh, crime overall is down, uh, but there is a persistent problem with gun violence in, in the city. There were record homicides in 2020 and 2021, more shootings already this year. Increasingly, people in other parts of the state uh, comment on the challenges for Lexington in that regard. How do you think the city gets a handle on that? Well, I think it's it's got to be a top priority, and I think that it's about community building, right? At first, we need to make sure that we have the tools in place that can handle the issues that are presented, but it's about engaging the community. There are many groups in our community who are looking for that kind of engagement, for that leadership to come together. Uh, BUILD is a good example. This is a faith-based organization who's really trying to focus on issues, specifically youth violence in our community. I think engaging those community groups, getting them involved in the process, and then working and making it a top priority, those are that's the blueprint in order to be but successful. But is that a long-term approach when there are some immediate problems going on there? I mean, calls to shootings every other night. A absolutely. So when you look at the shootings and you look at the violence, that is the the symptom and we need to treat the symptom as best we can and that's making sure that we have places for our youth to be as most of these incidences are with youth violence making sure that we've extended the school day that is short-term solutions but then putting in place things that we used to have you know when I was growing up every park in town had a program that you could go to after school we no longer have those partnerships as strongly with our schools and with our parks and we need to get back to some of those things that helped this in the past and can help to soothe this long term. 
How do you feel about uh, policing in general uh, in the community, which uh, is uh, controversial uh, in, in, in some ways? I think that here in Lexington we have a, a great benefit in that our police force is a 21st century police force. You know, we, after the merged government and we started over, we didn't have a long established police force that we had to sift through. We have a very modern police force. I think that they get a lot of support from the community and what I would like to see as far as the policing relationship, we took a first step with some of the changes to the CBA. We need to take more with neighborhood resource officers. I know anybody who's ever experienced their neighborhood resource officers who've come through, who've talked with them, who've worked with them on all the little things, that's the kind of relationship I want to have with more of our police force. So more outreach, more community engagement, I think that's one of the key things that help the police do their job and help us to stay safe as well. COVID has uh, changed the world for all of us. Uh, federal money is coming to the city from the American Rescue Plan. Uh, do you think uh, Lexington is prepared to uh, invest that wisely? I think that a lot of deliberation has gone into this process and it's been a real outreach to the community to see the priorities that they have in place. So <clears throat> being on the council and sitting through these meetings, reaching out to those constituents, trying to find out programs that are going to work for the best benefit of everyone and not just any one specific sector, I think that's the main goal. So I do think we're poised to use this money wisely to make sure we make an investment in our future, um, socially, infrastructure, and economically. And I think that it's going to come as a big collaboration with the community and our final result. The mayor identifies affordable housing as a, as a key issue in the community and has even formed a department within city government to address that. Obviously there are people who struggle in poverty uh, to even pay the rent or uh, to have adequate shelter. Uh, do you see the housing issues uh, as even broader than that? I do. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, here in Lexington, we have an issue with not just affordable housing, but housing affordability. And I know those sound very similar, but it's not just home ownership at the lowest levels. It's at all levels, and it's also rent. Right now, Lexington is becoming less affordable than it ever has before to live here. And people who want to move here are having to look elsewhere, and that's starting to push out people into other surrounding communities, which hurts us in the long run because our people are what make our city great. So I think that you can track all of these issues to this one issue of housing to say housing affordability, we need to make sure there are enough houses that people can live here and that it's affordable for them to both rent and own. The mayor has recently pointed out that if uh, people live in other communities and drive in uh, to work here that the, the city gets the uh, occupational tax and that can be invested uh, for those who do live here. Uh, what is it about uh, having people in place in the community that, uh, that you see as important? Aside from just maintaining the communities that we have built, you know, the ones that have created this uniqueness for Lexington, we need to make sure that we are not pushing out our working class into surrounding counties and making it so that we have a bar of affluence in order to be in the city. We need to make sure this is really a city for everyone, that everyone can live, work, and play here in Lexington. So my only comment to that is when we get into regionality, if we want to have a relationship with other counties, it needs to be mutual on cost and revenues and not just unintentional side effect of us not addressing our own housing issues. Do you think this region does uh, cooperate enough? I mean, taken as a whole, the bluegrass would be over half a million people. That, uh, that has a lot of influence. It is uh, uh, certainly, uh, if resources are pooled, uh, that can be uh, uh, significant. Absolutely, and I think it needs to be looked into to make stronger bonds. Right now, 
we all kind of operate as our own islands. And you can see issues that come up every once in a while where you know, one group say will say Scott County wants to go one direction with their development planning and that affects us in our development planning. We don't have a lot of overlap and we don't have a lot of coordination. And that doesn't mean that we have to share everything, but if we want to truly be regional and take advantage of that and leverage the assets we have, we need to make sure that we have constant communication, constant collaboration, we're working together to be one bluegrass. Councilman, within the, the city, as you know, there, there's always the, the strain between urban infill and, and do you allow more developments outside. Stark preservation versus development uh, lines in the sand are clearly drawn in this community. Uh, how does a mayor navigate that? I think it starts with reaching out to the community and having open, honest conversations about what it means to grow. We've seen with the last data that our city is growing, our population is growing, and we need to make sure that we take an intentional eye towards how we want to grow, what we want to preserve, where we want to make sure that there are places for everyone to live. So as mayor, in order to navigate that particularly sticky divide that we have, I would say talking with people to say, what can we do to be smart? What can we do to be intentional about how we grow? Because any plan that says we're not going to do anything, that we're going to sit back and let things work the way they are, or just sit back and let things happen however the market wants, neither one of those extremes is going to work. It has to be intentional, it has to be smart and focused, and it has to be something that the community understands and agrees with before we move forward. On economic, economic development matters, is it the same kind of thing? Uh, is the city attracting the, the kinds of jobs and businesses that you believe will sustain the region uh, in the long haul? Has Lexington long ago said no to smokestacks, essentially, mm -hmm. and, and wants to do uh, a, a different kind of growth? There are all sorts of different industries that we can attract here, but it takes cultivation of that. You have to attract people, you have to incentivize them in order to create something in our community. And as far as our identity to attract people, I know that some people have said they want this to be an agricultural technology center. And that would be amazing. I would then ask, what are we doing in order to bring that here? Have we talked to some of our partners, like Alltech, who has moved to Nicholasville, if, what we could do to bring them back? You know, we have all these things we can leverage to bring in that kind of development. What are we doing to bring people in? Rubicon was a major announcement last year. Mm -hmm. Is that an example of the kind of uh, growth you would like to see more of? Rubicon is amazing in what they do. I think that anybody who's going to help us with the environment, help us to recycle, that's going to help us a lot. Rubicon was an expansion of what they already had here. Similar to Amazon and Baptist Health, these are expansions of things that we've had in our community already, which is great that these, these people who are here in our community are willing to expand what they have, but we need to make sure we're bringing in new companies. We can't be constantly relying upon the people we already have here in order to give us sustained growth for the next generation. What would be your approach to leadership if you, uh, if you had the opportunity to be mayor of Lexington? I think that the biggest thing I can say about leadership is I view it as identifying issues before they become problems and then bringing together community in order to try and solve that problem together. So as a leader here in Lexington, I would look to problems that we have currently to see what their root causes are and also try to identify things that will become problems and solve them in a timely fashion before it becomes front page news. When we're speaking of timely, what about a crisis? We have had uh, mayors that entered office and, and in two or three weeks they were faced with a, 
an ice storm, uh, in the case of Mayor Gorton, the pandemic. Uh, things happen very quickly. Uh, what would you do? How prepared are you to lead a city in a moment of crisis? Well, a city in a moment of crisis is sometimes similar to a business in a moment of crisis or any other large entity in a moment of crisis. And <clears throat> with my investment company, I've been through many of these kind of, we'll say, life or death situations with our businesses where you need to step in, you need to make swift action, you need to figure out how it is we're going to make sure that all of our employees are taken care of, how we pay the bills tomorrow. And a lot of those same things apply in any crisis. How are we going to make sure that our streets are clear? How are we going to make sure that people have the services that they need? All of these things require quick, decisive action, and you can prepare for some of them, obviously not all of them, but as long as you have in place this idea of bringing people together, identifying the issues, and taking it step by step, that would be my approach in order to try and solve those kind of issues. Can you say yes or no very quickly if you have to? I can say yes or no very quickly, yes. And how do you see this race going uh, with uh, Mayor Gorton is, as you know, personally very popular. Uh, are you running against her or are you in this race simply because you have a different vision of where you'd like to take the city? I think that this race is about where I want to see Lexington be in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Right? I'm, I'm only in this because I want to make the city better for my kids and for everyone's kids. I'm not running against an individual. I'm running against policies. I'm running against what our city is doing or not doing and what I think we could be doing to the benefit of everyone. Is the city way off track or uh, is it something that you think uh, that a simple uh, course correction uh, could be made that you believe you're capable of leading? I think that the city has a lot of issues and we're seeing them now. The housing issue that we have recently talked about, the year-over-year -year, uh, murder rates that have been increasing, people are seeing these issues spill out. And these issues didn't happen overnight. They've been growing over time. And as you pointed out again, they're going to take some time to correct. So while I think that generally speaking, these issues can be solved, it's going to take some time, it's going to take some intentionality, I do believe that I can lead us to a solution on these problems and many more. We believe right now, because there are uh, more than two candidates, there will be a primary that it appears to be it will be in May, but there's a possibility that will get moved to August. Doesn't that change everything in terms of how a campaign would be would be run? I mean, uh, maybe in the, in the spring, it's easy to knock on doors and get people to talk to you. Maybe in the middle of summer, they're on vacation or out at the ballpark. Oh, well, maybe you have more opportunities for a barbecue or something in the summertime. Uh, uh, this isn't anything I've I've faced in the past, or I don't know many people that have faced a primary pushed all the way to August. Uh, we will take whatever comes. Again, this is one of those, can we make decisions on the fly? Can we be adaptable? This might be a really good example of how we can apply our skills in the administration if we get there. So. Do you anticipate this being a, a, a collegial campaign? It is. It's, I, I hope so. That is my intention. Honestly, for me, this is about the issues. It's about what's best for Lexington. I feel like Lexington always deserves leadership that's going to push it to be better than it was yesterday. And I think drawing from my experience in investing and managing companies with large balance sheets similar to the cities, with my experience building collaborations within our community through the nonprofits, I think I have a lot of the skills necessary in order to provide just that push in a leadership position. David Clarber, candidate for mayor and the city councilman for the 6th District. Thanks for coming. No, Appreciate it very much. Stay with us. We'll be back. Dave Baker joins us next. We'll talk about our special on Joby Hall that airs later today on WKYT.
Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. The Big Blue Nation has had to say farewell to Coach Joby Hall. He died last weekend at the age of 93. Coach Hall played for the Cats, was an assistant to Adolph Rupp, and then was head coach leading Kentucky to an NCAA national title. But Hall is also remembered for the 40 years or so after he left coaching. He did a radio show, dabbled in political campaigns, and was an ambassador for Kentucky wherever he went inside the Commonwealth and beyond. WKYT will present a one-hour special Sunday afternoon at 2.30 called Joe B. Hall Remembering the Legend. And one of the hosts of that program, a sports broadcasting legend himself, Dave <laughs> Baker. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Hi, buddy. How you doing? I appreciate it. Very good. Brian Milam, also on that uh, yep. program with you. Uh, when you think back on, uh, on Joe Hall's life and career, uh, so many things come to mind. A long, well-lived life of, uh, oh, of, sure. of 93 years. He was a, really a constant in Kentucky, wasn't he? he? He was, and he was, you know, this was before social media and everything. I mean, he was larger than life. The very first thing, uh, my first day here at the station was April 29th of 1982. That was Derby week. But before we got over to the Derby and I was a photographer for Rob Bromley, I was sent over to do an interview, which is the very first thing I did as an official employee. He could not have been uh, kinder, more understanding, asking questions. He, he was just an everyman kind of person, Bill. I mean, he could go into corporate boardrooms and get people to support things like uh, uh, the Joby Hall Lodge and boosters and things like that. And he was just as comfortable in his later years when uh, John Calipari put him on that bus and they went around on the national championship trophy tour. He, he, he just loved people and he dearly loved his Commonwealth. And would you agree, you had that, that, that wonderful sense of seemed to be egoless, but yet knew he was very known and popular. And, and when people approached him in a room, it was no surprise to him. Oh, and he, he really loved it and reveled in it like when he was out fishing and people would say something like, don't I know you from somewhere? And he would just, like a good fisherman, he would just string them <laughs> along, you know? And uh, But yeah, he was just, you know, he, he never thought of himself, you know, this is in the days before big contracts and a lot of commercials and things like that. He, he was just the coach of, of his team in his state. And you, you know what? It came with a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, uh, Coach Rupp, can you imagine succeeding Adolph Rupp? Well, here's the thing. Could you imagine John Shire is going to do the same thing at Duke this coming yeah. year, succeeding Mike Krzyzewski? But this was in the days before you had social media and everything. So you had, you had Joe B. Uh, Adolph Rupp had been here for 40 years. He still had an office in Memorial Coliseum. He did not want to retire. It was nothing against Joe, but it was a mandate for state employees. Did not want to retire. Still had an office in the Coliseum. Still had his own television show. At the time, Joe was a coach trying to make his own way. That's how difficult it was. Is it fair to say that his relationship with his players evolved over the years? I mean, he was tough. People will tell oh, you no, who no played question. for him. You know, uh, and and there were times that they were, you know, they they felt like he was on. Oh no, 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 no. But, you know, but those relationships seem to change over the years. Unquestionably, and and I can tell you personally, uh, Jack Gibbons, who does the pregame radio show with me, uh, I've had a chance to hear from him a lot in the last couple of weeks especially about coach and they did not as we say in the south they did not g and haw uh, when he was here you know joe was on him pretty good and would not be afraid to set him down and bench his stars or whatever but then afterwards they they became incredibly close and i think jack and coach cal were a couple of people that got to spend time uh with joe uh the day before he passed and uh you know he got very emotional on the air started crying about how much coach hall uh had had meant to him and and a lot of people forget this that that when joe was hired 
he was hired primarily as a recruiter. Uh, he, he wanted to become very much the on-floor coach that he was, but, but his charge was to go out and to sign African-American players, you know, because there had been this uh, uh, narrative out there that, that Coach Rupp did not want to do that. We can talk about that, and our Dick Gabriel did a great show yeah. about that. But, but Joe went out and signed a, a lot of people, and Jack told the story about how he and James Lee had grown up playing together, and James's father was a, was a very well-known minister here in the town and said that uh, Coach Hall just immediately formed a bond uh, with James's mom and dad the same way he formed a bond uh, with Jack's mom. So th the other thing that's different Bill is there weren't all these tapes. Joe Hall was a tremendous evaluator of talent. You couldn't go and see high school kids play on the air. Right. You didn't have planes that you could go back and forth. So, so Mike Pratt has told me that uh, I, I certainly Pratt, I believe Mike Casey was the other, but certainly maybe not Casey, but certainly Pratt and Issel. Adolph Rupp did not see them play in person before they got to UK. Wow. He took the word of Joe B. Hall. Coach Hall had, to, as we know, a remarkable career in basketball and several acts after that. You know, uh, the radio stint, as, as uh -huh. you mentioned. A little politics here and there. He'd be yep. involved in campaigns, lots of charity work. Uh, you know, may we all have such a remarkable and rewarding retirement as he had. But as you also mentioned, this was before Instagram. He didn't know how many followers he had, right? He, no, <laughs> no, no. But, uh, but he knew he had value out there. Yeah, and, and, and you know, Bill, at the time he retired, Joe B. Hall was 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 not beloved, you know. I, I mean, he was a guy, uh, you know, who had to follow in the in the footsteps of Rupp, and that shadow was incredibly long. And he won that national championship in 1978, but there were still a lot of people that thought that you know he should change this and do that. So when he stepped down at the age of 56, he was not a beloved guy. But he became beloved, uh, and, and I mean, think about it. I mean, he had 37 years of retirement. I mean, somebody is probably going to come and find you and I at this desk one day. We're we're not going to have 37 minutes. You know what I'm what I'm saying? But I mean, he was able to go all over the uh, all over the state. It, you know, you think about people and and what giants of that era meant to Kentuckians. I, I think of Joe B. I think of Bill Kitely. Yeah. I think of Happy Chandler, uh, and I certainly uh, uh, think that. You know, there there's so many others. When you start naming, you, yeah, you yeah but I, but I mean, yeah. but I mean seriously, yeah. I mean those guys were just they, they were just giants. He was also, you know, a local legend, the pride of Cynthia, oh. and our Amber Philpott looks at that aspect in this uh, special that will be airing today. What else will we see in that at two thirty? Sunday afternoon. Well, I, I mean, he, he, he loved his hometown. Uh, there are so many people that have great stories. I mean, all of us are, um, you know, uh, touched by people who deal with us early in life. And they might not realize it at the time. You know, it's like Amber played for her dad, uh, but Joe B's coach in Cynthia, uh, you know, he was known the world over. He coached, Remember, he coached internationally, uh, but, but he was just Joe from Cynthia, you know, and Joe B from Cynthia, and everybody felt like, you know, he was perfectly comfortable wherever he was with 
I never saw him big time anybody. I never saw him say, hey, I don't have time for this or anything like that. He, you, you know, he had to have security and things like that, but you know, he didn't have an entourage, right? <laughs> I, I mean, it was usually Bill Kitely and Van Florence and a whole bunch of stories in a car or a pickup truck. I'm driving himself. And Terry, Terry yeah. McBrayer, who was yeah. a great friend oh, yeah. of his, and that's, yeah. that's the Another way he legend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dave, thank you. 2.30 on that uh, yep. on WKYT this afternoon, the special on Joby Hall. Stay with us. We'll be back. Greta Van Susteren before we go on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Flights canceled, airline routes suspended, and 5G wireless service is at the center of it all. Our chief national political analyst Greta Van Susteren explains. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here's your full court fast break. Two industries at metaphorical blows over 5G technology and a major roll-up postponed in the 11th hour. This week, AT&T and Verizon pausing 5G activation on cell towers within two miles of airports. This third delay after the nation's largest airlines and cargo carriers demanded an immediate intervention. Experts warning 5G cellular antennas may interfere with planes radio altimeters, the device that measures a plane's altitude. False readings could compromise aircraft safety, especially in Boeing 777s, used by air carriers worldwide. An airline executive's warning, if 5G were launched near airports, together roughly 1,000 cargo and passenger flights could be disrupted a day. Even with the postponement, Emirates announcing it is suspending flights to nine major U.S. airports and several other airlines also halting flight paths or saying they would switch to jets less impacted by 5G. Meanwhile, AT&T is slamming the FAA. It argues nearly 40 other countries have managed to deploy 5G technology without disrupting aviation services. President Biden says limiting the 5G rollout will avoid potentially devastating disruptions to passenger travel, cargo operations, and our economic recovery while allowing more than 90% of wireless tower deployment to occur as scheduled. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home covering the national stories that impact you. And remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. And that's this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. Don't forget our Joby Hall special this afternoon at 230. I'll see you this week on WKYT's evening newscast, and we certainly hope you make it a good week ahead.